the Rambam, Emuna is a mitzvah deraisa. It's the first mitzvah in the Sefer Mitzvahs. So why should you believe in God? For the same reason you should put on tefillin, because God said you should. Of course, you're probably thinking that there's a philosophical problem with that answer, which is what many we showed him say to the Rambam, that if you don't believe in God, then you're not going to accept his command that you should believe in him, since there's a logical, round, closed circle involved there. So I presume the question wasn't really about why Judaism thinks you should believe in God, but as to how do we come as individuals, especially individuals who are not living and not being educated and not growing up in an atmosphere where it's obvious that there is a God, is how does one come to belief in God? Historically, there are two great answers to that question. Middle Ages, it was understood by everybody, at least those who engaged in, in writing about Machshava, that one should prove the existence of God. Sometimes we think of this as being the Rambam, because he was Rambam was a great philosopher, but even the non-philosophers, meaning non- the non-professional philosophers among, among Jewish Machshava, thought one could, should prove that the existence of God. They also thought that they could prove the existence of God. So therefore, it was a comfortable answer to give. Today, philosophy in general doesn't believe it's possible to prove the existence of God. It doesn't believe it's possible to prove the existence of anything. Um, historically speaking, Kant devoted a, a lot of effort to show that all the traditional proofs for the existence of God were invalid. Um, so now there's still two possibilities. One is to say, philosophically speaking, on the level of Immanuel Kant, you might be able to prove it, but perhaps you can prove it on some not so formal a level. After all, as I pointed out, philosophy says you can't prove the, ex- the existence of yourself, of the person sitting next to you. None of you can prove that I exist which is actually an interesting example because there is no way for you to know that I, that I exist. I might be a computer-generated uh, figure here. But, um, so perhaps we would settle for a proof or an indication or a reason to believe in God that would be similar to the reasons that I believe in the table I'm sitting next to or the house uh, that I'm sitting in or even on a personal level, the existence of my wife and children. So that's one possibility. And for that, you raise, uh, you raise indications. You ask questions like, uh, why is the world organized the way it's organized? What's known as the theological existence of God. There are certain indications, there, and very good ones, actually, but you have to study each one of them individually, which um, make the belief in the existence of God, of a divine providence, etc., more likely or more, more, uh, more rational than the... Uh, than the, the, the than the denial. I'm actually very sympathetic to that point of view. Um, But nonetheless, if you ask me personally why I believe in God, I doubt that that's the reason. And the other approach is, um, is based on, on the experience, on the experience of faith. In other words, if somebody would land, if somebody now would land on earth from the moon, and I would show him the proofs of the existence of God. I personally don't believe he'd be persuaded. It, it's rare. Uh, of course, it'll depend on the psychology of people from the moon, but very few people today, myself included, are so uh, intellectually, um, intellectually based that a proof or an approximate proof or a good proof will 
convince them of something which demands, and this is the important question, which demands commitment. You could prove to me the existence of coronaviruses, but, but I'm not going to change my life because of it. You could prove to me that something on the far side of the moon, which we can't see today, you can't see, but when I was a child, you couldn't see it. That's always the example. You can prove that exists, but it's not going to change my, my attitude and my, my commitment to the world. Most people, I, I've met in my life two people, all of two people, who it appeared to me that they read a good proof that this is a God, and therefore they changed their lives. It, it's, just, it's just not going to happen. Most people, I think, who believe in God, who worship God, what do I mean by belief? It's not an intellectual belief. Most people have a commitment to, to, be, to be true to God, to do, what, to do God's will and to worship God, to be Obed Hashem. It's because they have an experience of faith which is true, which, which resonates in their life as being true. Now, this may sound like a very, very weak argument, but in fact, this is what we do about everything. As I pointed out, I don't know my wife exists. There's no proof that my wife exists. A more important question. Who cares about whether you can prove your wife exists? How do I know my wife loves me? How do I know I love my wife? You've all seen movies where someone claimed to love somebody, but they really they were planning to kill them or to drive them crazy or whatever. Hitchcock had a whole career based on making movies like that. But the answer is, yeah, it's possible. But it's not rational to doubt your immediate experiences. There's no proof that when someone speaks to you, they're telling you the truth. But we experience it directly. It could be wrong, but it's not rational to doubt the very basic parts of your living. Therefore, somebody who has no connection to Yiddishkeit or to religion, I don't know whether you should believe in God. I don't know how you could believe in God. But those of us who live a religious life, and therefore we might have questions here, we might have questions there, but you can taste the Kedusha on Shabbos. You, you know when you learn Torah, just speaking to somebody on the other side. And for me personally, as someone in Yeshiva, and actually many of you as some people starting Yeshiva, the most direct experience of God is that you, you're learning with Him. You're learning Torah, and, and you know there's someone on the other side. How do I know Shakespeare exists? Because when I read his work, I sense there's someone on the other side. Could be an illusion, but it's insane to doubt your immediate experiences without a very, very good reason. We begin with certain axioms. So that's the second, that's the second approach. Personally, that's the approach that I think uh, it makes sense to myself. And I think it makes sense for most people who are already inside. There's obviously a problem here. You have to believe in God to believe in God. You have to be living a Jewish life to know that, you, to, to know that Yiddishkeit is true. That's true. Also, occasionally there'll be a crisis. Something's not going to go right. And then you need to have enough of a strong belief to get you over that so that you can get to the promised landness on the other side. And that's why living a life of faith is not a question of, is the proof true or not? Living a life of faith is whether or not my commitment is strong enough to make me see the truth whenever I, whenever I experience it. That's my answer in a nutshell. Uh, thank you for that. If I can follow you up on a couple of points which, which you made there. Um, which of these approaches is ideal? It sounded very much from what you were saying, like, the second one is ideal, and the first one can be a safety net for the second one. Is that, is that what you were saying? There have definitely been people, and there have been times when the first approach was considered to be not only ideal, but, but, but essential. Um, for, for, different, for different reasons, mostly philosophic reasons. According to the Rambam, you can only go according to the first approach, because the belief in God requires that one knows that God exists, and knowledge is only that which can be proven intellectually. We're very divorced from that, uh, both from that intellectual standpoint and from that philosophic background, and from that definition of what Amuna of what Amuna of what Amuna means. So, as I said, I doubt that there are a lot of people in the world 
who are very good and convincing proof would actually make them change their lives. And therefore, I think that, yes, the second approach is more, how should I put it, is more important because it's less interesting to me whether or not you believe in God the way that one believes in the theory of special, special relativity. It's not a question of belief. It's a question of commitment, of what's called perhaps trust, what's called faith rather than belief in, in sometimes in, in, in English, English religious literature. Um, and, and to have faith in God, to trust in God, to, to allow God to lead you through life, to make your, your goal to be like God and to, and, to, and to serve Him, I really doubt that a proof would be good enough to cause a man to commit. And a person who believes in God but isn't committed to God, I believe that a certain individual is president of the United States, but I'm in no way committed to him, given an American example. Same thing is more or less true in Israel as well. Uh, there's a big gap between belief that something is true and, and having it become a facet of your life, of your commitment, of your, of your faith, of where you're going, where you're coming from. The, the, the Pesach says, What does God want from you? doesn't say to believe in him. It says, uh, Three or four from Sukkot that begin the same way. Uh, the Torah isn't about correct belief. Judaism is not about correct belief. It's about how you structure your life. And for that, it seems to me that it has to be, you have to have a living relationship with God to be able to place your trust in him and not to have an intellectual proof which will, which will lead to it. But again, undoubtedly, the Rambam would disagree. I don't think because the Rambam didn't have a true faith in God. He was able in his own personal life for sure. So if this is true, then that I commit my life to the truth. He, he, he worshipped truth, among other things. He, 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 he was a devotee of truth. And halavai, we should all be devotees of truth. But basically, we, we trust him who we know we should trust. And for that, you have to have a living experience rather than merely an intellectual proof. Would the second approach be incomplete? As in, would one's, Amuna, one's faith be incomplete if one didn't believe that the first approach existed? As it is part of Amuna believing that it can be proven. In the history of Judaism, it's been, it's been assumed that you won't believe in something which is absurd. And it would be very difficult to believe in something which is very improbable. And that's not the same as saying that you need a proof. Again, no one today actually, almost no way today believes that there are proofs for the existence of God. And so, yes, obviously you can, you can believe in things without having a proof. Almost everything you believe in, we don't have a proof in the proof sense of the word. But if it becomes difficult, if it becomes unlikely, in other words, there are people who believe in the existence of, I don't know, weird uh, dragons living under the, under the earth. Uh, they believe in hobbits. They believe in all sorts of things. So they're, they're off the wall because it's improbable. It defies, it defies normal rational thinking. And that's why Jewish philosophy exists, not so much to prove the existence of God anymore, but to make sure, to explain how the apparent kashas, problem of evil, uh, why God acts the way he does if he exists, to explain how it could be true so that we can continue in our belief. Because if you hit a blank wall, if you believe in God, but nothing works out, everything is terrible, as sometimes happens, then you have a real, that, that is genuinely and should be 
a trial of your amuna. If it's strong enough, you'll get through it. But but it's not because you should say what difference does it make. I've even got even though it's absurd. That that's that's an insane. I think I think that's an insane kind of belief. Um, there's a famous line that was uh, issued uh, 1,800 years ago by a non-Jew, comparing his belief. He was a Christian to Jewish belief. And he said that we, meaning the Christians, Tertullian said, we believe because it's absurd. He recognized that Christianity was absurd, that God could become man. So he said, now that's the gval, that's the godless of Christianity. We believe that it is because it's absurd. But he said, but the Jews think that that's absurdity, and the, and the, and the Greeks think that it's, that, it, that, that it's illogical, and that's why we're better than them. So he's right. I accept the criticism. We don't believe in things that are absurd. We believe, sometimes believe in things that are very difficult, and we make a tremendous effort. You're You have to make the effort to find out why it's not absurd. And that may take time. You have to work on it. But to believe in something because it's absurd, I don't believe that Jews can, that Jews can or should or should operate that way. So, uh, a couple of years ago, I'll tell you a little story because stories are cool. Um, about 10, 15 years ago, there was a time when we were giving shiurim in Bar Ilan University. Once a week, one of us would go to give a shiur there. And so one time, uh, to Bogrim of the yeshiva. So one time I was coming back late at night, and it was very late at night, and I was tired, so I turned on the radio to keep myself away. So they had a lot, they were less than that, but then there were a lot of pirate, uh, religious pirate stations. They were illegal. So they were like always uh, sort of, uh, you had to search to, to find them. And I turned on the radio and I heard this guy speaking. And he, he identified as being a Lubavitcher. And he literally said, this was, I say, 15, maybe 20 years ago. It was shortly after Lubavitcher ever died, within the five years after Lubavitcher ever died. And he said, he literally said, Aremuna is because it makes no sense. And I fell off, I was driving, so I didn't want to fall asleep. But I also didn't want to, fall out of the car. Uh, to hear somebody say that a Jew believes in something, namely that the Babich Rebbe is still alive, because it's ridiculous, is ridiculous. And, uh, and, and it's not Yiddishkeit. It's classic Christianity, but it's not, but it's not Yiddishkeit. So yes, we have a, a, you need to have a rational analysis what Judaism is all about, but you don't believe because of analysis, you, you, you are able to continue your belief because the analysis removed the absurdity from what otherwise might be an unconquerable question. Can I just continue, uh, continue along that track and ask, how would, you've mentioned Christianity here, how would we relate to other religions in regard to your second approach? There'd be plenty of members of other religions who would say they have had religious experiences. Would you just say that, well, then we kind of resort to approach number one and, and have to size up whether it makes philosophical sense or not? What would be, how would we, believing fully and, and truly in our own religious experiences, relate to other people's religious experiences? First of all, belief that's based on religious experience has to be based on your own. So it doesn't really, it's, it's an interesting theoretical question as to what I think someone should do with his religious experiences, which, uh, which uh, drive in a different direction than my own. But it's not, it's not my problem. It's his problem. In the end, religious experiences are fairly vague. I mean, I know uh, when I'm Shoma Shabbos, 
So Shabbos can be fun, Shabbos can be boring. I spent the last six Shabbatot alone in my home, no children, nobody visiting. You might think it's very boring. My wife would be insulted if I said that. It wasn't. We had a lot of fun together. But, you know, sometimes you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. You have no minion. Oh, for the last six weeks I've had no minion. No, even the food wasn't that good. So maybe, you know, it's not as much fun. So the experience is different. But I think, generally speaking, not about this Shabbos or that Shabbos or this moment or that moment, but those of us who are Shomu Shabbos, so we know that there's something there. We, we can taste the Kedusha. Does that mean that you shouldn't uh, open a can on Shabbos? No, that, that just gives you your start. In the end, we're operating in a, in a tradition, which is our tradition. It doesn't interest me, the, the Buddhist tradition. Our tradition is Torah Menach Shemayim, Perush Chazal, Maimar Chazal, Ishri Piyish, Mesorah, past the Shulchan Aruch, Tishmir Shabbos Kolchasa, to the Psach of the Rav in the Shul last week. And, uh, and that's how we operate. And, and the base of it is the general experience that we're dealing with truth, that God is behind it, and God exists. And, uh, and this is the truth for us. The details, the exactness of it. So it's very possible that people have religious experiences. It's also very possible that they're fooling themselves. It's very possible that I'm fooling myself. So I believe that those people who walk in the street and hear Jesus talking to them, as, a, uh, as Paul of Tarshish did uh, 2,000 years ago, and people in Alabama have till now, so I think they're having their emotional delusions. But uh, it could be that they're having another experience, which is being interpreted by their by, by the psychologist in a way. Maybe they really are hearing the voice of God in some way, but they're, they're hearing it in a certain, in a certain manner. Uh, I know Jews, when God speaks to them, they hear in a very, very deep voice, because I guess you haven't. They probably don't show this anymore. In my childhood, every Jew had seen the, the, the uh, film, The Ten Commandments. You should see it. It's a fun film. So from that, we learned that God has a very, very, very deep voice. Charleston Heston was chosen for the part because the part of God, he didn't appear, he just spoke. Uh, but he shows up for the park because he had the most inspiring voice in Hollywood. And so if I would have a religious experience and God would say to me, I would probably automatically have this filter in my head that would lower his, uh, I learned how to do this on the computer so I could do it to him as well. I would lower his voice by two octaves. So it could, I don't know, it could be that some people walking on the street and they see, uh, and they see a man with, with uh, holes in his hands and a nice beard, because Jesus always has a beard in those pictures, and, and, and he says, why don't you come with me? Maybe they're really hearing God saying, stop being a Christian. But of course, you filter it through your own experiences so they hear it wrong. Well, they're just making it up. It's not my problem. My problem is to understand my life, make sure that my life makes sense. And my life more or less makes sense. And some things are more difficult and some things are less difficult. But more or less, bashita, once you commit yourself to the Torah, then you commit yourself to the whole thing because many parts of it are really attractive, meaning they really, they really have meaning. I can see they have meaning. And the other parts, I'm working on it. That's, that's my answer to that question. The question you meant to ask, what happened if I had been born in, in Bombay? Wouldn't I have been a Hindu? Probably. Just on the side. On the one yeah, the it's an old question. It's a good question. My personal belief is, I, I assume yes. Um, I'm always amazed to meet a girl. I'm always amazed to meet a girl, not, not because I doubt Yiddishkeit, but I just don't understand how people can just meet it, hear about it, read a little bit about it, maybe even see it, and, and change their lives. I, I don't know. I doubt very much if I would have the strength of character to have done that. So yes, if I am born in Bombay, I would be a Hindu and probably be over about Azar, because Hinduism is about Azar. That's the reason why Jews every day say three times a day, Aleinu l'shaveach l'adana hakal. Because if he had made us a Gagayaratzah, we would be Gagayaratzah. God did us a favor, you personally, you and me, he did us a favor 
by, by, by putting us in Jewish families. That might be a question of theodicy. Why does God do us a favor and didn't do Pedro and, and, uh, and Salvador a favor? Don't know, but that's not my problem. God saved me from being brought up in a situation where I would probably be misled in the truth. And I thank God for it. And we all thank God for it. And you should say Elena with a lot of kavanah. We will do after this. Um, I'm sorry, dear, that you were alone for Shabbos, but four years ago, you weren't. You were actually walking with me in London one Shabbos morning. And you can hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yes, my computer occasionally turns off. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was saying that, although unfortunately you were alone for this Shabbos, four years ago, you were not alone. You were in London walking with me, and you uh, mentioned to me. Trust me, I was more alone walking with you in London than I am with my wife for the last six weeks with the door locked and no one's allowed in, but okay. You should add your wife to the conversation. Um, um, You mentioned to me that you have an uncompleted doctorate still waiting on your desk, um, which actually discusses something very related to um, a question which was sent in before, before we started. How does one relate to a God that they can't describe. At least, you know, the Rambam says you can't describe God in a positive sense at all. Um, Does man's inability to effectively describe or understand Hashem impede our relationship with him? Actually, I've I've already answered that question more or less, but I'll give a little introduction. you, You phrase the question of how do we relate to God if we don't know a lot about him or we can't describe him in the terms that we usually used to. I don't think it's wrong to ask the question, but it's very, it's very misleading. The question that we really face is not, it, people talk about it all the time today. Judaism is not about your relationship with God in the way that most people use the word relationship. Uh, most of us use the word relationship to refer to the uh, to our relationships, to the, to the girls we're going out with. Uh, I'll repeat the same pasuk that I quoted before. To have a good relationship with him. Mm, that's not what it says. But it also says that we love that he loves us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have a relationship with God, but 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 that's not really the relationship is dependent on something else. Our relationship with God is based on our commitment to God. Now, if you'd asked me the same question that you asked me, how can you have a commitment to someone who you can't describe? I will tell you the question is ridiculous. How can you have a commitment to somebody you can describe? Our commitment to God is because he's not like us. It's because he is better, much better, infinitely better. He is the ideal. We want to be like God. And therefore, if God was another being, more or less, let's say material or something I could describe in my normal in my normal terms, it would be wrong to have the actual relationship, to have a commitment to him. That, that, that's about a zara. If you're committed to a table, if you're committed to a person, committed in, in, in the absolute religious sense, that's about a zara. The only reason why you could commit is because God cannot be described in the usual terms that we are speaking. Now, you said, what about my relationship with God? I've had a little bit of chasidus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a 20th century, 21st century person. I want God to love me. I want to love God. 
that's, it's not secondary in importance, but it's secondary in logical. If you're committed to God, if you're an Eved Hashem, then you have a relationship with God also, which will also include Ava and Yira and, and, and also include Shirashim. But it doesn't start from that. We're not that kind of a religion. We're not that kind of a faith that says people are lonely and, and God is their friend. I read The Lonely Man of Faith. That's not what it's about. It's not that, that God is the answer to the problem of Lotov Hayot Adam Levado. The problem of Lotov Adam Levado, what's the answer? Aselo Ezek The problem of the, of, of the, the, God is the answer to the problem of what should a person do? What should a person be committed to? Where does the value in a person's life come from? Because he doesn't self-create it. You're only, you're only a person. You're only Basa Badam. Where does absolute value come? How can you be better than yourself? And that's, for that, the answer is, because commit yourself to God, hitch your wagon to, to, the, to the infinite God. And the infinite is, is indescribable by definition. If it was describable, then I don't think you should hitch your wagon to it, because then you'd just be, you'd be Ebed Shal Ben Adam. There's a long history. A few of the people who are present today in this meeting are English. Very few of them. Um, being American has divorced us somewhat from a great English ideal, which only in the last 50 or uh, 75 years has disappeared. But the English upper class, the English aristocracy, managed to imbue in most of the English people the value of being ever of a person. To be in service to a great person makes you great. And uh, they, ma- they managed to convince a lot of people that, okay, you know, you're a commoner, but at least you... The, the, you have the great honor of being the servant of the earl, maybe even the highest servant. You could be the butler of the earl rather than just the kitchen, rather than just the kitchen maid. Um, so being American has, thank God, or being Jewish, has, has divorced us from that because the value you get from being in service is by being in service to only Hashem Yitbarach. Ki liyis b'nei Yisrael avadim v'lo avadim avadim people that were all equal, and therefore you can't get value from somebody else. You can't get, uh, you can't get transcendental value. You can't, you can't transcend yourself, but only from God. And therefore God, yes, is indescribable. Otherwise, he would just be a good friend of mine. Some people would like to be friends with God. I would like to be friends with God. But that can only come as a result of the basic, the basic demand, the basic, not just demand, the basic Potential is to la'avodet Hashem. God took us out of Egypt so that we could be avadim, not b'nei choven, to be avadim l'ashem, which is b'nei choven in, 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 in the world. And therefore, it doesn't bother, it doesn't bother, no, we, we know a lot about God. We know that He's value. We know that He's good. We know that He's right. We know that He's, that he, that he, that he's chach. We know that we should try to be like Him. I don't know what He looks like. I don't know, uh, that's unimportant. It's important if you want to have a good relationship with somebody, which you call the relationship, then you have to know whether they like the same jokes as you like, whether they like the same foods as you like. You shouldn't marry a girl who likes spicy food if you can't stand spicy food because you can have a sad life together. That's not the problem here. The problem is I know a great deal about God. He is infinite value. And by Ludov Kabo, I can become infinite value as well. I can approach God and become better than I am. So everything you've said until now focuses very much on man, the man part of the manga relationship. But there do seem to be at least Sukkim and Tanakh, for example, which do do that second thing. They do talk about Akkadosh Baruch Hu's emotions. How 
we don't have much time for this question, but in a nutshell, how would a philosopher read Tanakh? How would the philosopher read Parshas Bereshis, where it says that Kodesh Baruch Hu was sad that he created um, that he created man? How would they read the parts of the Tanakh where Kodesh Baruch Hu is angry with what's uh, with with what man is doing? You've gone uh, mute for a moment, so let me. I'm back. You're back. Um, how would a philosopher read Bereshis? He would read it philosophically. It might, that might not be the correct way to read it, but uh, classic philosophers would read it and say it doesn't mean what it says because uh, they have a problem with God of emotions. I'm not a real philosopher. Uh, you hinted, you gave away this, my secret to all these uh, young and impressionable young men that at my age I still have not finished my thesis. And um, Hashem, you will finish yours way before mine. Uh, so I'm not really a philosopher. I flunked out. Flunked out of graduate school. Uh, well, I didn't flunk out. I think you got a good job offer. I got a good job offer. So I could have kept the Poseidon. I got a very good job offer. Thank God. Still there. And so, uh, there's, a, there's a philosophic discussion as to whether or not God loves man or not. I'm a Chastai Kreskensnik. He says that God loves the world. Ram says God doesn't love the world. No, but well, I prefer Chastai Kreskas. He's right. And, and, but the truth is, it's nice to say that God loves the world. It would be difficult to commit yourself to someone who had no emotions. It's not impossible. The Ramam is, is a good point. Again, I'm saying what I'm saying. The, 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 the first step is commitment. The second step is, can I build on that? Do I build on that to have certain other other things? Does it make me happy? I, I, I'll give you something more, I think more important than what you said. Um, does Judaism make us happy? Chistai Kreskes says it does, no? Or it's supposed to lead us to our ultimate... Uh... He says it should. He says it should. Everybody knows it doesn't always. There are plenty of sad Jews. Uh, it's not the purpose of Judaism to make you happy. Yeah, I think it should make you. I think it will make you happy. But what makes you happy is the fact that you are committed to God. So I do really appreciate the fact that that if you're going in the right direction, that human nature is adjusted to that. The true happiness will come because you you are, you are obeyed Hashem. And there are definitely people. Psychology is complicated. Definitely people who will who be miserable being obeyed Hashem. And al pidin, that's not going to make a difference. The Rav Zatzal was very extreme about this. He, he was close to saying that if it makes you happy, it's probably not true. He, he, he used to object tremendously. It was, still is very popular. There were a lot, in, in, in American religion specifically, and there's a huge emphasis. It's almost to the point of, of being absurd that you, can, you know it's true if you're happy. And if you're not happy, then it's not true. And the purpose of religion is to make you happy. Uh, and we should all be, we should all be happy. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a self-help thing. The same people tell you, do A and B and C to have a happy life will tell you you should go to church. Uh, if you don't go to church, you'll be miserable. So the Rav used to get really upset about that. He says, and, and the Rav said, you know, being committed to God is so complicated. It'll probably make you miserable. It's full of tension and, and, and you're always realizing that you're not doing enough and therefore you're depressed. Uh, Rav Lechassin once has told me that he thought the Rav was a little bit, uh, was a little bit extreme about this. He got carried away. Uh, he almost preferred being depressed to being, uh, to being happy, even though personally he was not a depressed person. Rav Chaim suffered from depression all his life. Um, so uh, that's, not, that's not the mark of truth. If you believe 
And some Jewish philosophers believe this, that when God made man, so he made him in such a way that mitzvot Torah are also natural to him. Therefore, it should make you happy. And you have to be somehow corrupted not to do mitzvot. Ein adam elem nechnas shtut. the says. But other, other Jewish philosophers think that it could be, easily get the theory that it's the other way around. God made you so that it should make you happy, so that you should commit yourself, even though it's not pleasant, but the truth demands of you that you do things even if it's not pleasant. So you have to walk by Eishu Bamayim. It's not pleasant, but it's true. And that's part of the, on the contrary, God will give you nisyonos to make sure that you, that you commit yourself to the truth, not because, not because it's pleasant or, or fun and because you like cholin. Anyone who's Shomer Shabbos because he likes cholin is not Shomer Shabbos. That, that's, that's really true. You have to be Shomer Shabbos because it's true. And if God gives you reward and gives you good cholin or bad cholin, that's not, really, that's not really the point. I'm not saying you should suffer for Judaism. I think Judaism isn't suffering. I don't believe Judaism is suffering. But it could be, and it wouldn't make a difference to its truth. So and that's not why we believe. That's not why we do what we do. It's not that God, it's not, we don't, no, it's Pashut. You don't serve God because you, it'll turn out that you'll be richer that way than if you're not. Even though, at the end of that Mishnah, the self hasachar lavo. In the end, yeah, it, it will be better for you. But, but you don't have to experience it directly to, to, to do it, nor is it, nor is it necessary, nor is it even, nor is it even uh, recommended. If I can uh, take you in a different direction. Um, Good idea. It's been, I mean, it's been, it's been fascinating, but we've uh, only managed to get through two questions uh, so far. I want to just bring in a, a third question. Last week's parasha, um, Rashi quoting Chazal, Describes the difference between chukim and mishpatim. He says, mishpatim are things that we would know them even if they weren't said. However, chukim, as in their truths are universally accessible. Chukim, Rashi interestingly adds, is that the Yetzirah and the Ummas Ola Meshivim Aleihim. We get questioned on these things, on the chukim, on the bits which are, I'm not saying they're not irrational, but they're non-rational parts of the Torah. Now, ironically, in the 21st century, this is kind of turned on its head. Very often, Jews living in a secular academic environment find it easier to discuss or to be at ease when doing the non-rational mitzvah as opposed to the rational ones which claim adherence to some kind of objective moral. Any thoughts on the disparity between Jewish and contemporary secular philosophy regarding moral relativism and having objective morality. There are many people today, both Jewish and non-Jewish, who are formally speaking uh, believe in God. But the point that I made a few minutes ago, just a few seconds, I'm not sure that people picked up on it, the belief in God that that makes worship of God possible is a belief in objective value. In other words, we are relative, but God is truth, and God is morality, and God is tov. Which also means that God is ethics. Avraham uh, Avinu, God, God says explicitly, the Pasuk says explicitly, what is special about Avraham Avinu? Before in the 
before before the parish of stone, before the destruction of stone. So God says that He knows of Amavinu, Yudativ, Mishpat is the way of God, because God is objective truth, objective morality, objective good, objective right. And that, you're absolutely right. That is a very unpopular statement, not about God. It's a very unpopular statement about ethics, values, or about anything in the Western intellectual milieu of today. And that's probably the most important dividing line between Ma'aminei and Ovdei Hashem and a certain intellectual elite that's very dominant in, in the Western intellectual tradition of today and in Western universities. The, the problem isn't whether or not you eat Shmur Matzah and Pesach or not. Um, if you eat Shmur Matzah because it's the way of the Jews, that's very cool. Uh, that's cultural relativism. It's very nice that you eat Shmur Matzah and we eat Easter eggs. And we should each appreciate each other's, each other's ways. The real dividing line is whether or not truth is truth really exists and it's really outside of man, but man can attach himself to it. We're Ovde Hashem because God is absolute value and we can become like him. We can model our lives on what he wants and what he says and what he is. And that's the belief in God, that God is absolute truth and you are not, but you have a chance to, to connect yourself to him. Uh, relativism in all sorts of ways is the dominant, it's not the dominant uh, belief of humanity, but it's the dominant belief of the, of the intellectual elite. And it says that, okay, some things are true sometimes, but they're not true other times. We basically make it up and we make it up because it works and when it doesn't work, we're going to get rid of it. In other words, we are making up our own truth. If you want to know how does one handle that, the answer is by, by, by denying it. If you don't take a firm stand on saying, not that Judaism is nice. It's very similar to the previous question, actually. Your questions really, even if you don't realize it, are, are, are coming down to the same point. If Judaism is nice, and it's fun, and it's good for me, and, and it makes me happy, and uh, it means I meet a lot of uh, friends, and Torah is interesting, and it builds character, and after I finish two years in yeshiva, I'm able to get into a better university. That's not a bonus Hashem. It's, it's, a, uh, it's good advice. And it may be even the best advice. It could be two years in yeshiva is better than going to Harvard for two years. But for whatever your goals are. Avodah Hashem is that, that I, as a created person, who is merely basa vadam, something that's created and doesn't have value, but I can achieve value because God offers it to me. And God is value. And that's something which even people who think they believe in God, both Jews and non-Jews, have, have absorbed more or less. I'm not saying that they've, they've become kofim in that sense, but we've absorbed, all of us have absorbed a great deal of the feeling that you shouldn't talk about absolute value. But Yiddishkeit, and, and frankly any, any monotheistic religion, is based on that absolute value is outside of man, but man can achieve it. You can become like God. You can become like God. And, and, and you, you become like God. And that's why we do it, because we want to become infinite. We want to become like God. 
So there is no pshara. You cannot, you cannot have a compromise. You cannot make peace with, with, with relativistic values, naming that, that, that nothing is absolutely right and everything has some good sides to it. There is no peace with that. And, and that's, I think, ultimately, I think that's the most dangerous and the most difficult and the most controversial and, and the most challenging part about entering a Western intellectual world. That's why I asked it. That's why you asked it. You asked it because you're, you, think you've, you think you've survived it. Um, I don't know. Uh... Without a doubt. And it's not something which you learn in a given class. There are some classes. There are certain disciplines in university which are based on relativism. I don't know, anthropology, uh, sociology. But, but those, of us, those of us who study philosophy, philosophy doesn't even talk about that anymore. It's simply, it's simply it's in, the, it's in the marrow of the bones of, uh, of the modern world, even though it claims to be ethical. No one's going to agree that they're not ethical, and they act ethically. They really do. But when Paul comes to push, they're only ethical because it works. And if it didn't work, they would reinterpret their ethics. Whereas we can't do that. And if you do reinterpret your ethics, they don't have any ethic at all. You simply, you simply, you simply follow good advice. And good advice could be to kill people. Good advice could, could be not to kill people. Maybe it's usually not to kill people. All kinds of explanations. But the belief in Hashem Yitbarach, he who is not my friend, he who is not like me, but he is the value that everything is dependent on. He made the world, he made me, and asks me to come to him. That's what, that's what makes all the difference. We shouldn't try to adjust ourselves to, uh, to the opposite intellectual climate. We should, we should defy the opposite intellectual climate. That we're coming to find the truth to absorb the truth, to become part of the truth, which is not what we are, but what we can be. Our future is our truth and not what we are. And uh, the general attitude of much, much of the Western world, whether they're technically believers or not, most of them are not, is that, uh, is that you make up the truth as you go. Not in a cynical sense. You make it up as you go because whatever works, works. And that's, that's, that's the reason why we are theists. That's the reason why we say that our value comes from God and not from, and not from ourselves. So you, if I, if I can take a quote from you right in the middle of, of that answer, you said something interesting about to have value, as in for a person to have value, they have to believe in the existence of value. Can you elaborate on that just for, just for a minute? As in, are you say, what is that? I said that? I think you said that. I'm not sure if you meant it, but um, it, it was somewhere in, I, I think it makes sense. It's true. As in, you can't have, you can't, become of value if you don't believe in values but can you can you can you just reiterate the point that you made about um how avoda sashem or how believing in god as the source of value gives the person value in themselves by becoming close to akodesh by uh, by imitating him which is a point which you touched on a couple of times this evening all created all created objects all, uh, all material things, everything in our world cannot be the source of its own value. And you, are, you are what you are. I, I, I'll give an example, which I think everybody's probably familiar with. It sounds a little extreme, but, but we know that it's, and most people don't really accept it, but, but they're open to it. It's becoming more and more. Someone will ask, well, for instance, um, we, we are all very much against uh, human discrimination. In other words, uh, some people are not better than other people. 
I think the Torah believes in that as well. All created but said The next step is it's a whole movement that says, okay, so uh, racism is a terrible thing. That one race is better than another's, but speciesism. How do you know that you're better than kangaroos? How do you know that you're better than worms or dogs or cows? And uh, what gives you the right to utilize their lives to further your life? It's also to utilize someone else to, to um, what's the English word for the natsel? Help me out. Um, I'm, um, no, Gavri, somebody. No, Linatzel. To, to uh, exploit. It's, it's also to exploit someone else to advance your life. Because each person is a Tzalem But we all exploit animals. And those, those of us who are still eating animals. And even those who aren't eating animals, you exploit them in other ways. And so there's a whole philosophic movement, very, very 20th, 21st century. Uh, animal rights. Not that you should, not that Tzal Baal is a bad thing. But animals have rights. And they can sue. There was a case, there was a, there was a Supreme Court case, I think New York Supreme Court, where a, uh, a dog sued for his rights. Obviously, he had a lawyer to uh, interpret what he thought the dog wanted. But the actual plaintiff was the dog. Luckily for us, the New York State Supreme Court threw it out of court and said that animals can't sue yet. A couple of years they'll be able to sue. Um, Let's hope they're not listening into this conversation. Yeah, let me check the 73, 66 open uh, computers here. Are all of you human? There are me. Um, vaguely human. Minimally human. All those who are not human, please uh, please go to a different Zoom. Um, in an, and, and they're right. In as much as you merely exist, so you might be bigger, you might be smaller. Why is bigger better? Do we think that uh, gorillas are better than people because they're bigger? Uh, why is even smarter better? Why, uh, you know, at one point people used to argue, well, human beings have a, because they, they, they're intelligent, so they're better than other animals. So they say, you know, it's all relative. It's not really, how much smarter are you? You're a little bit smarter. We've proven that par- uh, parrots can also talk, elephants can talk, dolphins can talk, a little bit. You can make tools. Chimpanzees can make tools. It's all relative. It's just, there's no real difference. And they're right, because if you, if, you, if you exist, then you are what you are. So you can have more of this quality and less of that quality. God isn't valued because he exists. He's valued because he's valued. He's good. And good is something that you have to adopt. And human beings do have the ability, because they were created by Salam Elohim, to become like God. The only way to inject value into a, a natural fact human beings are natural beings i mean we were born of woman we were born flesh and blood the only way to get value into a natural thing is by attaching it to the supernatural something which is outside the world and that thing is where we also monotheists we think there's only one thing like that and that's god if you're a polytheist it could be two things like that but uh we happen to be uh monotheists and therefore if you want to have value in your life if you want to fulfill that which you were created then uh, then you have to attach yourself and you have the ability to attach yourself because you weren't created to be just you. You were created to be B'Tselem Elohim. So God gave you the ability to ascend the mountain. You can, you can go higher and higher and higher. Whereas natural beings can never transcend themselves. A dog is a dog is a dog is a dog and a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose. And human beings who are not attached to God are 
uh, rational animals or feathers bipeds, to quote Aristotle. They're, at the time, Aristotle thought that the only species on earth that could both have had only two feet, that stood on two feet and had no feathers was uh, humans. He hadn't met gorillas yet. Um, you mentioned a couple of times um, this evening about Avodah being about commitment to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, service. Now, in Tochem Achshavah, we're going to start learning this uh, this man about the philosophy of mitzvahs. Are we doing mitzvahs that have commitment to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, or do they have reasons in their own right? As in, most of the Shonim seem to say that there are time mitzvahs. Reasons do exist. How do reasons affect us? In Avodah Hashem, how the reasons and commitment interact. And uh, just want to say what we've got ten minutes left, so I also want to try to squash in another question after this, so we can just have a mini answer this time around, unfortunately. Okay, we have eight minutes left because it took you two minutes. Two minutes. It, it took you two minutes to ask that question. Um, the difference between Avodat Paro and Avodat Hashem is that Avodat Hashem is the Avodah of truth. There could be, there are instances where because of our commitment, we'll be asked to do something which we won't understand. Uh, it may not be on the level of the Akedah, but the Akedah is the, is the prime example. Um, but the reason why you're committed is because you've committed, not because God made you commit yourself, but you committed to God because he was true. And therefore, the basic belief in Jewish philosophy is that all mitzvot have a, a reason. It was the truth demands of us to act that way. Whether we understand it or not, we need God to help us see it. God tells it to us because he can see it and we can't sometimes, many, many, many we cases. Should try to should... understand it? Yes, because the commitment is to the truth. So, so it's commitment to God is the commitment to truth. It's not a commitment to God irrelevant to whether it's true or not. It's commitment because he's true. So when you don't understand it, you still committed because you you believe that it's true, but if you see that it's true, then it's more true. The Ramban has has a line in the Torah Adam. Uh, he's dealing there. Torah Adam is a book of halacha. It's about uh, the laws of the end of life. But at the end of it, there's a section is printed separately, sometimes called Shah Hagmol, as to what happens after you're dead. The Torah Adam begins with person who's sick. Then it has Hilchas Avelis. Then it has Shiva, Kvura. And then there's a whole section about after death. So he talks about gemul. He talks about sachar va'onish, and therefore he discusses the problem of the the problem of evil, tzaddik v'ralo. And he gives like seven different explanations why you can have tzaddik v'ralo. And then he says, and you know there are kashas and all these explanations. So in the end, you also have to believe that God wouldn't do anything if it wasn't if it wasn't the right thing to do. There is no God doesn't do evil. So I'm trying to explain to you why it's not evil. Reason A, reason B, reason C, reason D, reason E. But in the end, and, and they're all good, but you know, there's always a little bit a little bit of more difficulty. So then you just have to believe it, pure faith. Then he says, oh, you got the pure faith. Why did you waste my time with 12 pages in my edition of the Tavat Adam of all these reasons? If in the end, tell me I have to have faith, I could have had faith in the beginning. And the man says, because the difference is, you're right, except that it's better to be and to be like God is to understand God. And to be to understand God completely would be to be infinite. We're not infinite. But but we're on the path to infinity. 
So if you don't want to understand God, it means you don't want to be better. If you don't want to be better, then you're not serving God. Serving God isn't only doing what he says. It's not even mainly doing what he says. Serving God is being like him, is, is serving his cause. It's like the way you serve uh, the way you serve the king or you serve the people who, you serve in an army, you serve a cause. We, we've, we've enrolled in, in a crusade. We've enrolled in a great cause and we serve it. We serve God because God is our ideal. So of course you have to understand it. You'll do it even if you don't understand it because you understand that you should understand it. So yes, there is a basic mitzvah or definitely very, very good advice to understand more. The reason why I think, the I wouldn't say the only reason, but 90% of the reason why at times Jewish authorities and wise people have advised against it is because they were afraid with Meshua. That was, they knew that it was true, that you should understand, but they were afraid that if you try to understand and you don't understand, so then you say, oh, I don't understand, so maybe I'm making a mistake, and they don't want you to do that. And that's the basic reason. Jewish thought and Jewish philosophy historically has occasionally led people astray, maybe even more, maybe even more, than, more often than that. Um, so that's the reason why you occasionally have, but, but that the basic statement of the Ramban, only idiots think that you should worship God without understanding. That's what he says. And this is the Ramban, not the Ramban, uh, is, 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 I, is, I think, obvious. So, big bracha. You should learn, uh, you should learn Makshava. You should learn Makshava mitoch commitment, not to decide whether you have commitment. As I said, commitment comes from, 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 from seeing that it's true. But the commitment should be to also see how it's true. So if you learn me talk commitment, hopefully it also keeps us by Derecha Tova Yasha. And uh, when you get to a point you don't understand, so you wait till tomorrow. You try to trying to understand is the Abodas Hashem. Not understanding God as Bodas Hashem, but always trying to understand more. That's Abodas Hashem. Pursuing the understanding of God, the 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 the, the imitation of God, being like God, doing God's will, always trying to do more. That's about us Hashem. Every person, Echad Amar Bechad Amamit, Mubad Shit Kavain Lashem Shamayim, as Chazal said. Yeah, ask one last question. If you can do it in one minute, then I have one minute to answer. Well, it's up to you to do it for one minute. Coronavirus, go for it. Thoughts on coronavirus in, 30, in, in one minute. I've never seen a coronavirus. Thank God. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who's able to make grandiose statements about the history of the world. Some people can do it. Some people can do it even well. Uh, there are two kinds of there are two kinds there are two kinds of Jewish philosophers. So there are two kinds of people who who comment on things. Those who have a broad a broad uh, spectrum, and those who uh, do it one one little thing at a time. I can just tell you what I've learned from uh, from Corona. Uh, I live in yeshiva. I've been in yeshiva all my life. Uh, it's what I do. And so, obviously, yeshiva's in turmoil. Mainly, it doesn't exist. Um, but even though I've been in a yeshiva all my life, and I've been in this yeshiva for 42 years, and I'm pretty committed to the yeshiva as a yeshiva, but my truest commitment isn't to yeshiva Taritzian. My truest commitment, I think, is to learning Torah. And learning in yeshiva, I very much admire. I'll tell you something personal. I, 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 when I was a student, a young student, I did not leave the yeshiva I was learning in to come to Eretz Yisrael to learn for a year. Most of my friends did, uh, but I didn't. For 
various reasons that it's not important now to uh, describe. Uh, I very much admire those who have, for instance, all of you. Um, but what do you get out of it? You get out of it a certain atmosphere. You get a good base medrash. You get to meet wonderful people like Avri, like Rabbi Ryan, like myself. Uh, and all of that helps you learn better, helps you come closer to Kashbokhu, hopefully, as Hashem. But, you know, it doesn't say in the Torah anywhere that you should go to Yeshivat HaRetzion. It doesn't say you should go to Yeshiva. It says you should learn Torah. Relying on, I don't want to say the word crutch, relying on um, the influence of the surroundings, we're not going to succeed without it. It's, it's very important. It, there's no, also doesn't say the Torah, you should go to a desert and just find God on your own. Okay, you should, you should have a golet in makom Torah. You should try to create a situation, an environment which helps you. But it's only an environment which helps you. And to some extent, it could, it could be problematic because you're relying on the environment and you yourself haven't really, haven't really changed. And the thing, I'm speaking now purely, very narrowly. What does Corona do for Olama Torah? So it's a terrible thing. All the yeshivas are closed. And I think people are learning to learn without, without the lighting, without the dramatic architecture of the building in which they learn, which is what God wants, which makes you into a Lomei Torah and not someone who merely reacts to the environment. The most extreme case of this is a parasha in the Tanakh, which is about this. If, uh, if you had a choice, your original question to me, Gavi, was how do I know, how do I, why, why do I worship God or why do I believe in God? So I want to believe in God, but I don't believe in God. But I know that if I go to place A, if I go to the Beis HaMikdash, in the Beis HaMikdash there were 10 Kavua Nisim. That's what I read in a book. There's all sorts of interesting things happen there. The smoke goes up straight and doesn't get caught in the wind and the fire never goes out and there's all kinds of amazing Nisim that go there. So I know it's a fact that if I go there and I see that, going to be overwhelmed by God's presence. Miracles prove that God exists. So the Rambam writes that miracles prove to the Jews that God exists, but that's not why people believe, because you can always find an explanation. In the end, it'll go away. The parsha in the Tanakh is about this is that Eliyahu and Navi said to God, you know, the Jews are observing Baal, but it's your fault. Because you don't do miracles like you used to. So they're in the dark, so they go astray. But if you would, why can't you behave like you used to when you took us out of Egypt? Do a couple of miracles, everybody will believe. So God said, okay. And Eliyahu brought everybody to Harakarmel, and he did this little test with the Nevi'e Abal. They both built uh, Mizbachot, no fire. He told them to go first, and they were supposed to bring fire down from heaven. Didn't work. And then Eliyahu and Navi said, okay, now I'm going to do it. And then it's an interesting little point in the parasha. Nothing happens. It's because Kishpochu really doesn't want to do it. But Eliyahu says, you got to do it. He puts his head between his knees and he said, no, don't make me into an idiot. I promise. You said I should do it. And so, so God brings him down fire and the fire comes down from heaven and burns everything up. Very impressive. What do Jews do when that takes place? The Pasuk says the entire Jewish people are there. So what happens? They all fall down on their faces and they say Hashem Olakim Hashem Olakim we're so impressed by that that we do it seven times the same line on Matzah Yom Kippur for the same reason because after Yom Kippur we're all super impressed what happens the next day next day uh, Eliyahu wakes up in the morning Jews all went home he gets a letter from Izebel Queen and she says to him 
you know, you killed all these Debiyah Baal. Tomorrow you're going to be like them. So what does Eliyahu do? Simple. He goes to his email. He goes to his uh, WhatsApp group. And he says, Jews, Hashem Elokim, Hashem Elokim. She wants to kill me. 600,000 Jews, come, let's kill her. So it doesn't say this in the parasha. I think he did that. Nobody came. A few, a few lines later, Eliyahu says to God, I'm the only one left. No one else is here. Why? Because it's not really you. If you're overwhelmed, it's, it's an extreme case. You're overwhelmed by fire from heaven. You're not really a maimon. So less extreme. If you learn because you have a great chavus, or you have a great rav, or you have a great base medrash, and, and, and the mashkiach, and the, and the seder hayom, and there's no place to go, and, and uh, except to the makolet, but you, you know, there's no movie theater in our lunch foot, and, and there's nothing else to do, so you learn all the time. That's wonderful to learn all the time. Maybe it'll teach you how to learn. But you won't really, really be, you won't be a bentora inside. You're, you're reflecting the, the environment. What happens when you, in fact, are detached? What happens to you when you're living back at home and you're only zooming a little bit with us every now and then? So, yeah, I'm not saying that's why God brought Corona, but I'm saying that's one of the things. I'm not all that upset about what I've seen so far. I don't think it can, I mean, we have to get back. But uh, the fact that we're running Yeshiva, the way we're running it, People are learning in their houses, Bechavusa, Shalom Bechavusa, Zoom, no Zoom, WhatsApp, whatever. In fact, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to become a Lomaid and not just a Mitlamaid. Not someone who the environment is making us learn, helping us learn even, but people who are, who are learning Torah and other things as well. Uh, being only Hashem Be'emet and not merely being swept up by the by the uh, by, by, by the good environment. Very often we, we search the best environment. We have to be very careful about that because the best environment can also prevent you from becoming, sometimes you have to stand up on your own. You have to, in the end, that's what you have to do. You have to get from the environment, but then also develop. So this is that stage. This is that stage. You had a good couple of months in yeshiva, and now it's the time to apply it without the yeshiva. Uh, and when the, when the Zoom collapses, you'll keep learning without Zoom as well. Because you want to be B'nai Torah and you are B'nai Torah and not merely Talmidei Shabbat Havetzion. That's my Corona. That's my Corona line today. Uh, tomorrow I'll have a different line. But I can't do better than one line at a time. Oh, wow, that was uh, an inspiring answer. Um, unfortunately, that brings us to, to the end. I just want to make uh, two closing remarks. First of all, a small technical point. This is both an independent event and the formal launch of Tochnit Machshavah for Kites, man. Um, and we'll be back, Tochnet Machshav will be back as per usual, but on Mondays, starting at 9.15 Israel time, 2.15 New York time, 7.15 London time. If anyone's anywhere else, they can work it out themselves. Our first topic is um, talking about the philosophy of mitzvah, which Ravik touched on a number of times over this, uh, over this uh, year, and we're going we're gonna to continue to discuss. Um, there's a link to the newly founded Machshava WhatsApp group I just posted on the Zoom chat to everyone. The Makoros for the first few weeks, it's a booklet, so it will last a few weeks, we'll be posted on there. Everyone's uh, welcome to join. Shir will be um, next Monday. The Shir will be structured in a way where it can be understood without preparation, but enhanced with preparation. So everyone is welcome to join. And that just leaves me to say a very, very big thank you from me personally, on behalf of everyone, to uh, Rafik for giving us your time this evening. Um, I've learned so much. Everyone's been muted, but I think I speak for everyone. It's been illuminating and, and entertaining. And 
especially at the very end with the corona question, it has definitely been um, inspiring. It was so good that I feel that we might even come back for more. So uh, consider yourself warned. And finally, to all those who submitted questions, to all those who took part, uh, got involved, or just simply listened in, thank you very much. Thank you, Terevik, and have a wonderful evening. We can't hear you, Rufik. We can see you. We can't hear you. Vezvat Hashem, you'll come back for more. Vezvat Hashem, we'll be together, not with this zoomatic experience. Vezvat Hashem, I don't plan to go to you. You will come to me. You will come to Yeshiva, despite what I just said about Kavona. Vezvat Hashem will be Kehila Achas, learning Torah together, building building Yisrael together. Building each, building, building each and each other together. Binyan Beit Hamikdash, Biyat Hamashiach, Vayamenu, Amen. Hope to see you soon. Amen.